listening to Radio Tedland. Heading Nowhere, written by Patrick Cullen. Chapter 5 Unholy. We sailed on. Santorini would be the next stop tomorrow evening, and I settled down under the Aegean stars and drank by myself. The next day when I awoke I felt better than the morning before. I went and splashed my face with cold water in the bathroom and walked around the deck a bit. I soon found Zoe again, acted like a boxer a few times to great amusement, then settled down to some rounds of cards. It was the same procedure as the day before, and no matter what else I might have difficulties with, I was very good at cheating, at least when I was playing against a child. Zoe didn't seem to notice I was cheating, and I thought I might already be seeing a tendency for her to play honestly rather than cheat as that was the approach that gave her most success. Then again, I was on the lookout for that effect, and often, what you see is what you're looking for. Maria came and found us, and we went to the cafeteria and got some lunch. We got sandwiches, crisps and soda, Maria paid, and we found a table to sit down at. Maria told me a bit about herself. It turned out she was disappointed. Her reason for travelling to Cyprus had been to find a holy man. I never asked her what sort of holy man, she told me she'd had grounds to expect he was there, but when she arrived on the island, either he wasn't there, or it turned out he wasn't all that holy, I'm not sure which. We docked in Santorini and got off to walk around the town for an hour or so. I'd agreed to accompany Maria and her daughter. It was a bit of a drag, it was dark, and Zoe was whiny, but I nodded relatively enthusiastically at the souvenirs Maria bought, and before long we were back on board and the ferry sailed for its final destination, Piraeus. We were due to arrive in the morning, and my mind turned to what that might involve for me. There was a cafe close to the dock, where I knew the British lorry drivers hung out before embarking on the long drive up through Europe. My plan was to go there and hear about the Yugoslav situation. As plans went, it was quite basic. I'd arranged to meet with Maria and Zoe a bit later to say goodbye. When I got there though, Maria had a surprise for me. She asked if I'd be willing to accompany them over the Peloponnese and up through Italy. Before I could object that I didn't, as far as she knew, have any money, she offered to pay for me. She said it would be nice for her and her daughter to have some company, and I guess she was probably a bit nervous about making the journey alone too. It's maybe not quite true to say her offer was a surprise. I had imagined she might ask me, and was aware my card-playing friendship with her daughter might be difficult for Maria to break. There was maybe also an element of my matter-of-fact answers to her questioning the danger of my plan to travel up through Yugoslavia that I knew, without being in any way dishonest, might cause some sympathy for my situation. That, I suppose, is one of the many conundrums of human relations. If you as an honest person have a reasonable insight into the mechanisms that affect another person's actions and thinking, you can sometimes feel the need to be dishonest, to not talk openly about your situation, so as to protect the other from any potential manipulation from your side. Still, if her offer wasn't a total surprise, it was at least unexpected, and I said yes. I helped them carry their luggage off when we docked. I felt embarrassed. I'd always felt there was something uncool about tourists, the way they stood out as something that didn't belong, a magnet for those that would steal and cheat and offer to sell them inauthenticity at inflated prices. I myself preferred to travel light, to slink around in the background and to blend in wherever I could and get by unnoticed. 
Maria was paying my ticket though, and as such, I had a job to do, part porter and guide, part bodyguard, and a strange combination of big brother to Zoe and little brother to Maria. We found our way to the train station and got tickets to Patras, from where we would get the ferry to Brindisi. Maria and Sarah had done Greece before journeying to Cyprus and were now headed to Germany, which dovetailed fine with my destination Zurich. I was suitably grateful for Maria's generosity in buying the tickets and supplies for the journey, albeit with a slight sense of shame emanating from the $100 note in my pocket, and before long, we were on our way over the Peloponnese. I'd travelled this way before. The scenery was spectacular, and I was aware of the presence of history as the train made its way, even if I wasn't knowledgeable of the details. I spent most of the journey playing cards with Zoe whilst Maria read a book or looked out the window. I was getting a bit stressed by the arrangement. It was obviously to my advantage, but I was so used to finding my own way and making my own decisions. The slight weight of responsibility I was carrying now felt like a prisoner's ball and chain. We made it to Patras a couple of hours before the ferry was due to sail, bought tickets, and arranged a place to meet after a little alone time. I enjoyed some time walking round by myself, though there was the sense of emptiness and lack of purpose that seemed to dog my life for many years when I was younger. I was lost, or so I felt. In reality, I don't think I was really lost, more that I simply hadn't found myself yet. I met up with Maria and Zoe again before we embarked, and helped carry their luggage aboard. They would be sharing a cabin for the journey, whilst I would be sleeping on deck. We agreed to keep an eye out for each other on board, and arranged to meet up again before disembarking in Italy. I found a place on deck as the boat sailed. The sun was shining, the sky was blue, I was free again until the morning, and people around me were drinking vodka. What could possibly be wrong with the world? I joined a group of people drinking. I hadn't really been drunk since Jerry Garcia got robbed, a couple of days ago, and at that time, though I wasn't actually conscious of it, just a couple of days without a comforting alcohol-induced blackout was a long time that shouldn't be allowed to get any longer. The group I'd found, and whose bottles I was sharing, were a couple of Brits heading back to university after a classical vacation, and three Italians simply heading home. The group had a clear leader, one of the Italians named Luigi. Luigi oozed aggression, and used words as though they were weapons. Well, maybe nothing quite as refined as a weapon as such, more like stones, to be picked up and thrown at opponents and others with a violence. Luigi had a tattoo of the Virgin Mary on his upper left bicep, proudly displayed for the world to see, as he sat there on deck with no shirt on. It was a very bad tattoo, but nobody told Luigi that. Not only did he use words as weapons, he also carried a knife. We drank, and we got drunk. At one point Zoe came and found me. I watched as she spotted me from a distance and bounded over the crowded deck, smile on her face and playing cards in her hands. She stopped when she got close and saw my drunken face, then shrank back, a look of fear and disgust replacing the smile as my sense of shame grew. She left, I presumed, back to her mother while I stayed where I was. The sun went down, we drank more, became more drunk. Some girls joined us, English, looking for fun on a ferry. They drank too, became drunk, bottles became empty, some people slept, others passed into unconsciousness. Of the two English girls, one was attractive, the other less so and fat. I scored the fat one, 
which means we drunkenly agreed to find something physically attractive enough with each other to attempt the exchange of bodily fluids. We went back to where her bags were, making noise while being as quiet as possible, as only drunken people can do. Her things were behind a row of plastic seats on deck, which was good, as they offered us some privacy and some shelter from the wind, which had gotten up. I lay on my back, wallowing in inebriation, and played with her large, pendulous breasts as she attempted to give me a blowjob. It was no good. I'd drunk too much. I was like an inflatable boat with a puncture. If the pumping stopped, it would go flat. It was only with the help of my own hand I was able to come, and I watched her, drunkenly detached from events as a bit of cum ran down her chin in the moonlight. She smiled as I presumed she thought she was supposed to, and I passed out. In the morning I awoke before she did. I left her sleeping and headed for the toilets. I washed my face with cold water as Luigi came in. He patted me on the shoulder and offered me some of the vodka he was carrying, then proceeded to roll a joint that we smoked up on deck, looking out to sea and the approaching Italian coastline. The breakfast of champions, I just wasn't sure what the competition was. I met up with Maria and Zoe again before we docked in Brindisi. Zoe seemed a little more reticent, and Maria a few degrees colder, but that might have been my shame from being seen drunk giving colour to my imagination. We didn't talk about it, just headed for the train station. I'd been in Brindisi before, so knew where it was. I noticed the black market cigarette sellers on the way, you'd have to be blind not to. After Maria had bought a ticket for me to Zurich, they were travelling on interrail passes, I left them eating lunch while I went for a walk. I found a cigarette seller who would give me change back in dollars and bought a couple of packs. When I got back smoking, Maria asked me how I'd been able to afford them, and I lied and said I'd found a little bit of money that morning on the ferry. She didn't question my answer, but held my gaze until I looked away. We had to wait a few hours for our train. We spent the time around the station. I advised Maria to buy some supplies now rather than expect to get things such as water and food at a reasonable price on the train. She acquiesced, but I felt whatever brief relationship we'd enjoyed had ruptured. Whereas before I'd been welcomed and made to feel a part of something, now I was tolerated as I accompanied that something. It felt like one long train ride, up the east coast of Italy, and over, under, or through the Alps to Zurich. Looking back, I'm sure we must have changed somewhere, but I'm not sure where. We got to Zurich though eventually, after a day's travel. Zoe seemed younger and more immature than on the ferry, and clung to Maria more than before. I'm sure she was tired of all the travelling, whereas Maria was doggedly fulfilling her duty. I was their protector and guide, as we journeyed up through Italy together, and they accompanied me all the way to the office in Zurich. They waited for me outside as I went in, and when I came out there was still time for one last betrayal of trust. The office had found me work on a farm in the west of the country, and I was given a voucher covering the costs of travel to my destination. I kept the voucher in my pocket, together with the rest of the $100 I'd been carrying since the ferry from Cyprus, then came out and stretched the truth by saying the office had found me a farm, but hadn't given me the money for a ticket. Maria gave me some cash to cover my journey, and then paid for a last meal with her and her daughter. I think by this point she suspected I had some form of money hidden away, but she kept up the pretense out of politeness and for the sake of her daughter. I can't remember what our final meal together consisted of, 
But I do know when we said our goodbyes afterwards, I had a bad taste in my mouth that had nothing to do with whatever food we'd eaten.